episode 51 of the Swamp Flicks podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. And I'm Brittany Lomboss. We are podcasting from Brittany's apartment in Pigeontown, New Orleans. Mm-hmm. This is the podcast version of the movie review website Swamp Flicks. Brittany! Yeah? It's been a busy few weeks. It really has. Oscar season's finally <laughs> over. Yeah! I just spent two weeks watching French movies at Britannia, the French Film Fest. Which I'm super jealous of. Can't wait to read all those reviews. We should have an episode up in May, probably, of me and Cece talking about all the stuff we saw there. So Nice. Looking forward to that. Gonna not run down everything right now. Also, because it's hard to remember everything when you watch ten movies in a week. What percentage <laughs> of them would you watch again? There were two movies that I would call, like, five-star classics that I saw, and I've already rewatched one of them. They did a whole series of Agnes Varda retrospective. Hmm. So there were three Varda films, including uh, Faces Places, which didn't win Best Documentary, was nominated last night at the Oscars. And her films in particular stood out for sure. But also this movie, Double Lover. Sounds cool. Which uh, is easily my favorite movie I've seen all year so far. Is it about twins? Yes. Uh, it's <laughs> kind of like... I thought you were going to say no. That's awesome. It's kind of like Cronenberg's Dead Ringers. You know that movie? With mm. Jeremy Irons plays like two twins. No. Oh, oh wait. Is this like... Um, so there's a movie with Betty Davis called Dead Ringer. They're like twins and her sister's rich and she's not. And I bet Cronenberg was playing with that title probably. for sure. I've watched that. Um, it's very good. Yeah. The Cronenberg one's like this body horror where the twins like <laughs> are gynecologists. And they have okay, these like... I don't like it already. These like instruments for gynecological torture. Don't like that. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this movie pretty much references that instantly. Like, the lady has a dream about gynecological instruments. But she's in love with these twin psychiatrists. And her main lover lies about the fact that that he has a twin. His twin has a competing psychiatrist office around the corner. And she discovers it on her own and sort of investigates. Like, why is he lying to me about being an only child? What's going on at this other office? And she ends up just having a sex affair with both of them simultaneously. And then things get really fucking weird from there. Well, that all sounded super weird. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm on board with this. By the last 40 minutes, it becomes this surreal nightmare of, like, body horror stuff. And... (laughs) Okay, this is gonna be, like, a stupid-ass question, but what's what's body horror? Like, uh... (laughs) You ever seen Videodrome is like the king of like body horror movies or like The Fly? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, like just your body, just your body morphing gross. and changing and like like the, the shunting would that be body the shunting horror? is definitely body horror. Okay. Maybe raw a little bit too. How she gets like those like sores and like her skin sloughing oh, off. Oh yeah. Like it's like a dread of like your body changing in these supernatural ways that you can't control, and it's it's a, like a very um, insular horror like it's like it's about you attacking yourself really Ugh, it's, uh, it's way deep so that happens a lot in double lover and there's a lot of lapses in logic the movie doesn't really make much sense narratively because it becomes more and more like a nightmare and more like a horror film as it goes along uh, even though it starts off like a, an erotic thriller it's also kinky as hell 
It came out in New York the same week that Fifty Shades Freed came out, and most of the reviews you'll read will say things like, this makes Fifty Shades Freed look so vanilla by comparison. I think the comparison's a little silly. Like, the kinkiness in this movie is so ridiculously over the top in comparison. Like, there's these weird well, orgies the and... Yeah, it, it gets explicit in really fun ways. Cool. You think kind of upfront that it is going to be like a Fifty Shades of Grey type like erotic thriller and then it devolves into like Jalo and it's a lot like De Palma's movies. Cool. A lot like Cronenberg. It goes into some really weird places. The last 40 minutes are so fun. I think it's such a, like a smutty masterpiece. I love it. Yeah, looking forward to seeing that. And also I went during French Film Fest, I sort of ventured off to the Always Lounge, which has like a lot of like cabaret and drag acts and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I saw Peaches Christ present their movie God. that they made in 2010 called All About Evil. God, it, fuck. I didn't know going in that the movie was older. I didn't know that they made yeah. the movie oh, way back in the they day. They made it like at least like 10 years ago, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, 2010. There's a local drag queen act called Vicentos who runs the drag queen workshop. So, like, a lot of the younger, weirder queens you see in New Orleans basically learned their craft Products from Vizantos. Vizantos uh, is friends with Peaches Christ and oh did the God. music for this film. <gasps> cool. So, so the two of them did a Q&A after, uh, and there was, like, drag performances leading up to the show. Like, very quick, like, three lip-sync acts. Uh, and one of them was CCV Dementh, who came out with us uh, on Mardi Gras yes. as part of Crew Divine. So it was just like a really nice, low-key awesome. night. And the movie itself was really fun. I still haven't seen it. Um, and like Peaches Christ is probably my favorite drag queen ever. Just because she'll do, I don't know how to explain it, but like Death Becomes Her on Stage, 9 to 5. Right. <laughs> All these awesome movies that I love where they're just screaming, like performing in drag. And she just does it. Amazing. I think she was actually in town doing a Trump themed nine to five, and that's why she had like an yeah. artist residency yeah. here. Um, and she's touring the Death Becomes Her with Ben de la Creme and I can't remember the third one is. It might be Jinx Monsoon. Jinx Monsoon. Yeah. yeah. This movie that she made in 2010, she does appear in drag a couple times in the film uh, as herself, which is hilarious. But mostly it follows Natasha Leone, mm-hmm. who owns a movie theater and kind of loses her mind. It's a little bit like the Roger Corman film Bucket of Blood, where she starts murdering people in the theater and then sort of like making it look like it's art. Like, oh, how'd you get the gore so realistic in this like short film that you made? And it's because she's (laughs) murdering patrons for like talking shit about horror or like committing faux pas, like answering their cell phones in the movie theater and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Natasha Lyonne's really fun as like a deranged killer. She gets to kill Mink Stoll, who's playing a librarian. And Cassandra Peterson is in the film, but not in Elvira drag. She's just like as herself. With her like red hair. But she has a kid uh, who's a teenager and he has a poster of Elvira as a pinup on his wall. And she, uh, (laughs) she's like kind of concerned about it, which is really funny. Uh, but it's a really fun, like, meta horror film, and you could tell it was made cheaply, but it's not... I don't know how to say this kindly, but a lot of, like, drag queens, whenever they make a movie or, like, a rap album or something, mm-hmm. like, there's always something slightly off about it. Like, it's never quite as really? good as... I think so. I'm just joking. No, totally. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've seen Hurricane Bianca. Right. Yeah. I like Hurricane Bianca, it's but... All, it's all fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. 
this movie is actually like a legitimately fun campy horror film it, it knows what it's doing it's not accidentally funny like it, it's pretty sharply made for something that was obviously slapped together over a couple weekends nice and it's filmed in this nice old movie theater in san francisco so it has like a cool is production where, value to it yeah because i know peaches i can't think of what theater it is but pretty much all the peaches christ shows in san francisco like take place at the same theater oh okay so i wonder if i asked her during the q a like how she got access to the library Amazing. and the movie theater and the answer was pretty much like there was one place we wanted to do it and mm-hmm. they would not let us and then i had a very charming location producer go talk up this other theater as if it would be really good publicity because it says like the victoria theater a bunch of times and shows the sign and the exterior of it they're kind of advertising the theater a little bit but it's cool it's it's kind of like the britannia it's like an old-fashioned like art house kind of movie theater but yeah really fun i missed it fuck (laughs) honestly very exhausting to go do something like that on a wednesday night when i was already in the middle (laughs) of a film fest but it was worthwhile i wish it was on like a friday or something yeah well that's what i've been up to what have you been watching so I finally got my movie pass. Yes. And I used it. And I saw the Black Panther. And I really, really liked it. No surprise, like everybody's been losing their shit about this movie. Like I knew like it was gonna be cool and it was gonna be like an experience if anything. But I'm not the biggest fan of like Marvel movies. I feel like regardless of the superhero that I'm seeing, it's the same story over and over and over again. Same shit over and over and over again so I kind of went in there with that like it's gonna be a effing Marvel movie thing so don't get your hopes up but bomb.com so good like there's literally like nothing like this movie and I wouldn't even I mean I know it's a Marvel film but it doesn't feel like one like when you're watching it you don't feel like you're watching like this run-of-the-mill superhero movie that's produced by Marvel and it's actually about something like it, it has a political bent to it where there's like themes that go deeper than like just some origin story yeah like yeah. throughout the whole film like every time like comments were made like we're only helping our kind we can't help the others and i'm like oh oh shit yeah <laughs> you know it just pulls you at the heartstrings yeah this is like the first like major uh motion picture like superhero film that has a all-black cast for the most part uh, I guess I could like go into explaining the gist I don't think of we it. Have to. I know because it's so good. I'm like, huh, it's also huh. like already made like two hundred million dollars yeah, or something insane yeah. in its first first week. But like, I don't know why I've been sleeping on Michael B. Jordan mm-hmm. for so long. I have not seen shit this man is in, and he was like everything yeah. in this movie. Like he's this he's the villain, which a lot of times like you don't gravitate towards the villain. Except for, like, The Little Mermaid, because we all love Ursula more than, like, you know, Ariel, for sure. But totally feeling this dude. He's uh, made two other movies with the same director, and they're all great. Was Fruitvale Station one? I really want to see that. That's the director's first movie. And then Creed, uh, the sort of Rocky spinoff, was the second Mm -hmm. one they made together. Gotcha. So this is only his third film, which is kind of crazy, because the... So production good. design and the uh, just like look and feel of it and like I said the fact that it's like about something all feels very sharp considering how some Marvel movies are just you know fluff cool and like just the whole idea of like so Wakanda is like where this film takes place where the Black Panther is from and it, it's in Africa and it's this country where it's all farmers but Wakanda is like this ultra high tech world that's hidden out in like the African plains and no one really knows about it 
So like that was really, really cool to me. Like it wasn't like just something that's out of this world, like a different planet, like it's on earth, it's just hidden on earth. I thought that was really cool. And also like the role of black women in this movie is pretty badass. All the black women are very powerful, very intelligent. Like warriors, scientists, yeah, like, queens. It's not just like, you know, a like a Foxy Brown character where it's like, you know, a badass, you know, gunslinging kung fu black woman. It's like, no, the, these women are just like badass, intelligent, like just kind of the full enchilada and it's amazing. Oh, and there's this cool part where like, you know, what's that called? Like when you're sitting there and the credits start rolling and then you, you wait because you're like, are they going to have one of those like scenes? post credit stinger or whatever. Yes. Yeah. That's what it had. So mm-hmm. it pops up and it's like, there's this meeting of like countries. I don't know if it was the UN, something but like something that. like the UN. So the Black Panther, who's the king of Wakanda, is speaking and one of the other um, leaders speaks up, assuming it's like the US because it's like an old white man. And he makes a comment like, what does a country of farmers have to offer the world? And it kind of like leaves at that. And I thought I thought it was like pretty interesting because I'm pretty sure that like Trump made his like shithole countries comment after that was made. Probably. So it was kind of like really interesting. I don't know. It just felt very weird. Yeah. It was cool though. Yeah, and it's like a movie about like that isolationist policy. Mm-hmm. It how like that only leads to like ruin. Like if we like let people like come into like our world, they're gonna fuck everything up and. It won't be as special and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, it was, it's very, very moving for a superhero movie. And it's really cool because like the Black Panther, let me just like throw out some shit about how cool he is. Even whenever his, the Black Panther, when that, the power gets like taken away from him, when he goes to like battles, he's like still this like badass dude Mm -hmm. that like without his power and without his fancy fucking suit that his sister made for him because she's smart as all hell. Yeah, he can, like, whoop ass. And he's just got, like, this really good heart. And he, like, almost there's, like, this cool part where um, he finds out that his father did something that he truly disagrees with. That is, his father basically made the wrong decision. And I think that's a big part of the movie, so I'm not going to talk about it too much. But he sort of speaks up against him, where it's in a lot of movies like that, you know, you agree with, like, his father wasn't a bad guy. He just made a shit decision. And while he's, like, in the ancestral plane, he um, approaches him and is like, hey, dad, why you did this shit? It sucks. (laughs) And I'm like, God, this guy is so great. (sighs) I actually kind of thought that he was the least interesting part of the movie, only because he's such, like, a good person and he's so, like, honorable and so, like, virtued. that he was kind of the least interesting character in his own movie, but that didn't really bother me. It actually reminded me a lot of Batman. Like, in Batman, the villains Mm -hmm. and the side characters and all the weirdos and stuff are always way more interesting than Batman himself. Especially, like, Batman Returns, you know? It's like they all share the screen. It's, like, kind of nice where it's, like, the villain gets his time. All the, like, little sidekicks get their time. And you, you kind of learn a lot about everybody where the focus just isn't on, like, the main person. Right. And I like that. And it gives kids, like, a, you know, figure to look up to. Like, all these other people mm-hmm. come in and, like, flesh out the world and fill the screen and, like, drive the story in a lot of ways that T'Challa doesn't. But he himself is still there for little kids to insert themselves into the movie. You know, like, right. he's the superhero character. I mean, a lot of the uh, warrior women are 
fulfilling that role as well. But there's like a whole bunch of other things going totally, on. Totally, yeah. It's a very busy movie and a very like exciting and fun one. And it's, it's like yeah, it's like busy, but not to the point where like you're like wait, wait, who's this or like what no. what's happening? It's like it's so well told. Like there's all these yeah. separate little stories going on. And they're just, ugh, it's just, it's really good. And just the Afrofuturist look of it is so cool. Oh, and hell yeah. all the costumes and just watching the spaceship fly around Wakanda. I could, like, watch that all day. Yeah. <laughs> With, like, this cool, like, techno, like, hip-hop kind of beat going on in the background. Yeah. So much fun. <laughs> what else have you been watching? Veronica was another movie that I just watched, which is a Spanish horror film. Based on the Valacus, Valacaeus, or whatever, I can't pronounce it, case, which is a true story where a teen in Madrid performed a seance on a Ouija board to get in touch with a boyfriend that died in a motorcycle accident. And after she did that, she experienced like months of like hallucinations and seizures and all this kind of shit, saying like an evil spirit was after her. And she died mysteriously, like not that long after that occurred. And after her death, there was all kinds of weird stuff going on in her house. And the, I don't know if it necessarily was her family living in the house or another family that moved in, but they called the police and the police showed up. And in the police report, they basically say that they saw a crucifix and Jesus being separated from it. And it's in the police report that weird. that occurred. So they made a movie about it where it doesn't really follow that storyline. But it's really similar where the main character, um, Veronica, helps her mother, who's a widowed, single, working woman, um, care for her three younger siblings. And her dad recently died and she gets a Ouija board and attempts a seance with her friends from school to get in contact with her dad. And there's an eclipse going on at the same time. And something happens where she cuts her finger and while the eclipse happens, some blood from her finger dribbles on the Ouija board. So hello, sacrifice, you know? It's like she opens the door and this like evil spirit starts haunting her. Not not really haunting, but like- Tormenting. Just tormenting her. Her and her, her like little siblings. And yeah, there's like a very um, spooky end of the movie that I think is worth watching just to get to that little spooky part. Okay. It's real fun. I would say, like, a lot of people, there's, like, a lot of talk on it. Like, people on Twitter and shit are, like, losing their crap. And they're like, this is, like, the fucking scariest movie I ever saw. Um, it's scary. It's not, like, horrifying. But I would say from all these, like, demonic spirit and possession films that are out there, this is definitely on, like, the top scarier side okay. of things. It's, re- it's really good. I've heard the title. I haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. Veronica. Veronica, not Veronica Mars. Right, right. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh, it's such like a um, a bubblegum pop girl name, like Veronica. Yeah. Ooh, Archie comics. Archie comics, but it's this, you know, poor Spanish girl who is being tormented by a <laughs> demonic spirit or being. Yeah, I need to see that. Oh, that's why I've never done the Ouija board thing, because I'm like that shit will happen to me. A <laughs> hundred. I like have no doubt in my mind, and then nobody's gonna believe me, and I'm gonna end up like her. No. So, but yeah, that's pretty much the most recent big things I've been watching. That's cool. Well, like I said, we've been like super busy lately. I didn't even feel like I've fully recovered from Mardi Gras. I still got a weird sunburn from uh, my divine makeup. I still keep, um, (laughs) I was like, what was I? Yeah, I was doing like a sugar scrub the other night and then I got all this like skin was coming off my arms and I'm like, oh, still not done. Mardi Gras still lives. (laughs) So we decided to take it a little easy today. 
Uh, we're going to talk about some fun comedies, mm-hmm. uh, including one of your favorite movies of all time, and one of my favorite comedies of the last few years that I thought was overlooked. And it's going to be a fun, light conversation, I think. It will. And all that's coming up to you right now. I lost my virginity when I was 15. 15? No, actually 14, with Francois. Our exchange student? Mm-hmm. <gasps> but he was so rude. He always played his stereo too loud, and he never let me in his room. Touche. Yeah. Sex wasn't that bad, but it really didn't get good until sophomore year. College. Okay, that makes sense. You're more mature. High school. By then, the guys had cars. We would park at Beaver Creek. Do people still do that? How would I know? Virgin! (laughs) Man, it feels good to finally be smarter at something than my kid sister. Loser. Seriously, you want to pop that cherry before you get to college? Before? Why? Okay, how can I put this in terms a mathlete would understand? Yes, please put it in terms a mathlete would understand. Freshman year is like one big sexual pop quiz. You need to do your homework. And now it's time for our regular Movie of the Minute segment. This is where hosts of the show bounce back and forth recommending films to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had kind of like a 90s comedy vibe going on today. So it was my turn to pick, and I just wanted to make you watch something that I felt like was overlooked a few years ago. And it's a super girly comedy set in the 90s that's also really raunchy. And we already kind of did this vibe last episode that was just you and me when we talked about the bronze. And it's one of my favorite tropes recently is remaking these sort of raunchy male sex comedies Mm -hmm. with like a female perspective instead. Yeah. This film stars Aubrey Plaza. It's called The To-Do List. The titular to-do list is a list of things Aubrey Plaza wants to do before she goes to college. She plays a valedictorian in the film. She's a very, like, bright, young high school student, even though she's, like, 29 and does not look like she belongs in high school at all. She wears, like, day of the week underwear. Right. Yeah, she's that kind of girl. And she decides early in the film that she's not actually prepared to go to college, even though she's super smart and is book ready. Because she's a virgin and knows nothing about sex. So she makes a to-do list of, like, different kinds of sex acts she wants to get good at to prepare for the nonstop orgy she expects college to be. Uh, And it's, like, a list of things that most high school students don't do. Like, it's, like, rimming and motorboating and she wants a pearl necklace. Like... And it's funny because it it takes place in, like, what, 1993? Mm -hmm. Where there's no Google... And she, like, has her, like, dictionary trying to figure out what everything means. Yeah. She's like, what's rimming? Oh, it's not in the dictionary. I'll I'll have to ask a librarian. (laughs) Right. Uh, So, yeah, the movie is set in 93, like you said, and it gets a lot of, you know, kind of anachronistic jokes like that. Like, Mm -hmm. skorts make it hard for her to get fingered because they're so weird. Or, like, the opening song is, like, Naughty by Nature, Me So Horny. There's a lot of Hillary Clinton jokes in the film. Yeah, she's, like, very, um, she has, like, a Clinton, it's, like, pro-choice Clinton t-shirt right. on, like, all the time. And there's, like, framed pictures of Hillary in her bedroom. <laughs> it's so great. And I think a lot of people knocked it for having, like, a 90s nostalgia thing, like, hey, remember cassette tapes? Like, I think that's how people viewed this movie, um... was, like, kind of... J- like easy like hey remember this kind of jokes but what i really latched onto it about it not necessarily was a 90s thing was more like remaking these older comedies like porkies and american pie mm-hmm. uh these like losing it type high school virginity comedies 
uh, remaking it with a female protagonist and doing the same kinds of jokes, but from like a femme perspective. What did you think of the to-do list? Loved it. Awesome. Yeah, I liked it a lot. And when I was like reading a little bit about it before I actually watched the movie, shame on me, I usually like to keep it a surprise, but a lot of people compared it to like the female American Pie and I'm like, fuck, I hate that movie so much. Like, I can't tolerate any of them. So I was like, oh shit. But it's really positive (laughs) Um, compared to those. Like, even if there was a male in that main role, it would have been a lot better Mm -hmm. than um, the American Pie franchise. But yeah, really liked it. I don't know how the hell I haven't heard of it because there's so many, like, big names in this movie. It did not go well. People did not like it. But you're right. Like, you know, Bill Hader's in it. And uh, Andy Samberg plays, like, a a grunge guy. (laughs) Yeah. Donald Glover's in it. Yeah. Actually, a couple comedians who have become recently infatuated with, who I had no idea who they were, because mm-hmm. uh, this came out in 2013, so it's a little older. Right. Uh, but, like, Lauren Lapkus calls her a virgin on the stage, and she's one of my favorite, like, podcast improv comedians. Yeah. Uh, and also, Darcy Carden overhears her giving a hand job in a movie theater, uh, <laughs> and she's so funny right now on The Good Place as Janet. Yeah. I just did not expect to recognize Dar- to like Darcy Carden in this. Yeah. In the theater. <laughs> But yeah, the movie got terrible reviews and was like sort of instantly forgotten. I don't understand how. Like, I wish this would have came out, or maybe it did come out. It came out probably like when I was in my first or second year of college. It's like 2013. But this would have been so cool for like a high school movie because it didn't have like a lot of these, you know, anytime like a, a girl's like experimenting and having sex a bunch, like she's a slut. Mm-hmm. And she's slut shamed. And in this movie, like Aubrey Plaza's character, Brandy, right? Shit. Sure. <laughs> I can't remember. I'm, I'm terrible at character Brand- names. Brandy? I'll just call her Aubrey Plaza. Like Aubrey I'm never- Plaza. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The way she does it is so cool where, you know, she'll just like be straightforward. Like, I'm going to give you a handjob now. And they're like, okay. It's not creepy the yes. way it's done. It's like really positive. Like she's just trying to figure shit out. And the message of the whole movie is like, Sex is not that big of a deal that people like try to make it out to be where it's like, oh, God, you lose your virginity or you need to lose it. And if you do, um, was it the right thing? Was it the right place? Was it the right time? Like none of that shit matters. It doesn't matter when you lose it. It doesn't matter like who or what the situation is. And that's like what the message of the film, I feel, is trying to get out. But at the same time, it's like it's not that big of a deal, but keep other people's feelings like in mind before yeah. you do something. It drives towards what you would expect with, like, the choice having to be made between, like, a nice guy who's, like, been her best friend but wants to make it something more Mm -hmm. and this, like, super hot guy who she's, like, instantly attracted to. Uh, And it drives the plot to the point where she has to, like, choose between them, which is pretty typical for these kinds of movies. But ultimately the movie just kind of shrugs in that moment. It's like, well... We're in high school, so who gives a shit? Like, that right. doesn't matter. It was, like, funny, because, like, the the night that she has sex with Rusty Waters, Ugh. which is, like, the funniest and most disgusting name ever, like, she does it, and I think he lasts, like, one minute, and she's just kind of like, oh, like, that was okay, I guess. And then she drives home, and Cameron, or I think that might be his name, her, her homeboy, is all upset, and she's like, yeah, I had sex with him, it was okay, but whatever. <laughs> 
It wasn't like a, I just had sex for the first time kind of thing. Yeah. It was really funny. I laughed so much, like, just at how her attitude was towards everything. Just kind of like, whatever. It's science. Yeah, usually in movies, <laughs> uh, she would roll over and hug her belly and, like, have, like, a wistful moment or something. <laughs> right. Uh, it wasn't like that at all. <laughs> the only thing that was hard for me to stomach in this, like, super filthy movie was the parents, like, the kind of bringing in parents into these weird sexual situations. Like, her mom gives her lube. And then, like, she's sleep, she's having sex with Rusty Waters in the van, and she makes eye contact with her dad, who's in, like, the other car, who's having sex with her mom. Bill Hader shakes the dad's hand while fucking her sister. Yeah, yeah. Uh, All that was just super uncomfortable. I don't know if necessarily it'd be better without it. I just didn't like that. Yeah. I kind of like it because it's so matter of fact. Yeah. Like, uh, when she asks her sister (laughs) for advice on, like, what to do when she's going to lose her virginity. Her sister says, like, chug a beer and use the lube mom gave you. Mom gave you the lube, right? Uh, yeah. So, like, her mom... Like, that's... So, yeah, yeah that's pretty that. funny. Another thing about the virginity scene with Rusty Waters uh, I thought was interesting <laughs> is that she decides that she wants to lose her virginity on top. <laughs> right. Which was a plot point in Lady Bird this year. The Greta oh, really? Gerwig movie. Yeah. You know, that movie got, like, a bunch of Oscar nominations and stuff. It actually didn't win anything last night, which is kind of surprising. But I just thought it was funny that a very specific sexual moment... Interesting. Because both movies point out... I haven't out, seen Lady Bird. Yeah. I hope that's not too big of a spoiler situation. Damn it! Sir Virginia no, it's okay. <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was interesting, too, because, like, he's sort of embarrassed because he finishes so fast... And after he's like, well, it's probably because you were, like, on top or blah, blah, Like, tries to kind of, like, throw it back at her just to show how, like, much of, like, an asshole guys could be. So, yeah. Yeah. Another thing for it being so raunchy, like, it's kind of like a wholesome movie. Oh, her friends? Yeah, I was about to say, one of, like, the side plots is her friends want to organize a slumber party to watch beaches. And that's, like, (laughs) an overarching plot point in this movie. Which I did with, like, my friend... One of my best friends in high school, we would, like, do that kind of shit. It just, like, it brought me back so much where we would, like, watch Beaches, sing the fucking Wind Beneath My Wing song. Super weird. (laughs) And then they did that, and that was, like, a huge part where, like, they're kind of pissed off at Brandy. Or Aubrey Plaza. Fuck, I really hope her name's Brandy because I've been, like, (laughs) shitting all over it. She comes in singing it to them, and then they all start singing together, and then it's just this, like, really sweet moment. Really like this movie. I'll probably watch it again. If I see it on sale somewhere, I'm probably going to buy it. It's, and I think we need more, like, raunchy femme sex comedies. Like, this one, Wetlands, yeah. and uh, The Bronze are all very good. So funny, yeah. yeah. And it helps that it was written and directed by a woman. You could feel that in the screenplay, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yes, yes it is. Well, I thought so. So what do you do? I'm a suit salesman. Would you excuse me? I cut my foot before and my shoe is filling up with blood. So besides being set in the 90s, one of the funny things about the to-do list is it's got a bunch of like older actors acting as if they're 
in high school. So you know, like Aubrey Plaza's like almost 30 and she's playing a high school senior and it's like really funny how like out of place it is. Yeah. That has nothing in comparison to the main movie we're talking about today, Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion, which at least half of the movie is in flashbacks to high school years in the 80s, yeah. and it has all these people who are like <laughs> pushing 40 years old at least, uh, dressed up like high school nerds. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to do this movie is because it's one of your favorite movies of all time. Is that right? Yes. So my number one movie, I don't have a complete number one. It's a shared spot between The Wedding Singer and Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. And that's because, like, the summer of, I think the summer of 2000, which I was 10 years old, I watched both of these movies back to back every single day. I had the two VHS tapes when The Wedding Singer was over with. I'd pull it out and I'd put in Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. When that was done, pull it out, put in The Wedding Singer. And then I would save up like my grass cutting money and then I bought both soundtracks (laughs) and it shaped like my love of 80s music. For the Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion soundtrack, it was like Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion and it had another CD that came out and it was more music from Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. It's an incredible soundtrack. It's phenomenal. Yeah, so was like The Wedding Singers, like both of these films. And I think Wedding Singer was 1998. This was 1997. Uh, yeah, 97. So there were like kind of these cool back-to-back like 80s flashback kind of movies with um, just killer music. This one's got Cyndi Lauper, The Go-Go's, LaBouche. LaBouche. I love LaBouche. No Doubt, Devo, and my personal favorite Hall & Oates song, uh, Dance Hall Days. <laughs> and Dance Hall Days. Such a great fucking song. And sh- that's the like one of the coolest scenes where they're at their um, prom and Romy's dressed. They're both dressed like Madonna. And Romy's got this huge like ponytail mm-hmm. and she's dancing to Dance just Hall Days. Just whipping it around. And she's like hitting everybody with it. <laughs> it's so great. So I just remembered like one of the first things you told me about yourself is that you could like pretty much recite the script from scratch. Yeah. From, like, scene one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I didn't know I wanted to eventually talk about it. Um, <laughs> what I didn't know was that it has, like, a kind of a rich history. The characters, Romy and Michelle, were originated in a stage play called Ladies' Room, created by this playwright, Robin Schiff. And they're just these, like, side characters. It's not like the play is about Romy and Michelle. They were just playing these, like, party girls... Kind of like that um, Parker Posey movie, Party Girl. Like, they're just, like, 90s, like, (laughs) club blondes. And as soon as they come out in the middle of the stage play, apparently the audience just erupted in applause. Because it was like seeing this archetype that people had seen in nightclubs for the first time, like, in media, you know? like Cool. And Robin Schiff had no idea why they were really popular, but she thought that she could, like, kind of resell the idea. So she first attempted to sell it as a sitcom and there was one episode of a pilot uh, for a show called Just Temporary where they both had like temp jobs at some office. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I could not find a copy of this on the internet. Damn it. it. aired one time in like 80 some, 86 maybe on ABC. Oh my God. I think that's right. I'm pretty sure it was like late <clears throat> 80s, maybe 89. <clears throat> so it aired one time on NBC and it's just, like, not on YouTube or Daily Motion or anything like that. So I don't know where it could possibly be seen. It's kind of like John Waters' Eat Your Makeup. <laughs> we'll never see it. Right. Hopefully someone will restore it or something. Yeah. Eventually, she did, through her agent, find a studio who wanted to make a female version of Wayne's World, was how they sold it. Yeah, I can see that. So she sold this script to them. Lisa Kudrow returned 
in her character that she originated in, in Ladies Room. So she came back as Michelle, and then they cast Mira Sorvino as Romy, which I actually don't really know Mira Sorvino from that many things. She was in um, this sci-fi movie, Mimic. The Del Toro movie? Mm, I'm not sure, but it would play on the Sci-Fi Channel, and that's like the only other thing I've ever seen her in. That might in my be the life. Del Toro movie. But you know, Lisa Kudrow, obviously in the mid '90s, about the time this came out, was hugely popular because yeah. she played Phoebe on Friends. Yeah. Uh, so this is her after Friends, returning to a character she had originated on stage, in this comedy that was like kind of overlooked. The mm-hmm. same way the To Do List like didn't get great reviews yeah. and. But obviously, it's become a cult classic over oh the decades. It's like this is pro- like I said, it's like the best movie ever, ever. Like there's not one shitty part of this movie or anything that I would even kind of slightly be like, oh, they should have done this. Like it's so perfect. To it's me. a deeply weird movie. Oh. Uh, my favorite detail about it is that there's a dream sequence that goes on for like <laughs> twelve minutes. That. It just completely sidelines the plot and like lasts. For years, like century, mm-hmm. like almost a century uh, within the, the timeline. And then the, the movie just sort of resets yeah. and, and picks up from where it started. So it's got kind of like a weird, surreal quality to it. And like I said earlier, a lot of scenes of these characters in flashbacks playing their high school selves. Yeah, there's a lot of like time shifting going on where it's, you know, present day like L.A., which mm-hmm. is like really like late 90s LA which is awesome and then 80s and then you have the future during the dream sequence right. where they're like 98 Romy's on her deathbed and then Michelle calls her because they've had their fallout and they haven't talked in years and like the last thing she says is no not until you admit that I'm the Mary and you're the Rhoda <laughs> <laughs> and she like flips her off and you can hear her like heart machine like going off it's so funny (laughs) (laughs) well let's talk a little bit about who they are right so (laughs) i think what's funny about them to me and i guess what i latched onto is that you would expect the movie to be like a dumb blonde joke like that there's two idiot blondes Mm um I hesitate to use the word bimbos, but that's kind of what you would expect. Right. But really, they're more this, like, kind of oblivious, doofus character that men usually play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Wayne's World, when they pitch the script, makes a lot of sense. Uh, but, like, Bill and Ted, I think. Dude, I lost my car. D- that Reminds one. Reminds me of that a lot. Uh, yeah, almost like they're potheads, but you never see them smoking pot. Like, mm-hmm. it's that kind of, like, obliviousness. They're just, like, they're just always having a good time. <laughs> right. They're codependent. And oblivious. So, mm-hmm. like, they're very involved in each other's lives as best friends. Right. And don't realize, like, how much that codependency shuts off everyone else. Yeah. Like, they don't recognize that in high school they were losers because they were always friends with each other. And they, they always had fun. Yeah, they didn't realize they were being picked on by, like, the actually popular kids around them. Right. The movie is literally just them as adults going back to their high school reunion and trying to impress people by pretending to be successful for inventing post-its, which is not something they actually did. You know the little yellow things that stick them on the back? (laughs) Yeah, they invented a special kind of glue, which is a lie uh, that everyone sees through immediately because it's such a ridiculous lie. But the plot isn't really what you latch onto in the movie at all. It's just the two of them having fun. It starts in the first scene with them watching Pretty Woman on the TV and making fun of it. (laughs) <laughs> like those sales girls in Beverly Hills are on bigger whores than she is. <laughs> so funny. It's like a Mystery Science Theater 3000 moment, right? Like the camera comes in <laughs> Los Angeles 
through the window. They're watching Pretty Woman and right. just like commentating on it live. It's so real to me. Like when you're just chilling with your friend in the bedroom and just like shitting on a movie that you watch and you love, but you still want to make fun of it and you're eating snacks. I love that. And I love how in their bedroom they have like, their beds are just like side by side. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of like the Beatles movies where like where all the Beatles live together in like a house and they all have like their own little like apartments that right. they live in. Yeah. That's the Romeo and Michelle apartment. It's a very cartoonish like relationship they have. And there's a lot of parts in the movie like that are kind of cartoonish. When you were talking about the dream sequence, like there's two parts in this movie that make me like piss my pants laughing and I've seen this movie at least a hundred times. Like I'm not even over exaggerating. But it's when Toby Walters appears at the reunions where she comes in. In the dream sequence, Michelle's making out with like this weird looking version of Sandy Frank that in her dream, he's like super hot, but he just looks kind of weird. And then they're making out in a limousine and then slowly like levitating as Toby Walters. And she's like, they're about to announce the winners of the vote. Come on. Yeah, it's and like then very she surreal. goes away. And yeah. then at the real reunion, she runs up to the camera and she's like, hey, you guys, Sandy Frank just landed in a helicopter. Come on. And she's like telling you to come see. It's so funny. And uh, we should say that Sandy Frank is played by Alan Cumming. Who's amazing. Who's great in this movie. Yeah, he's um, he's obsessed with Michelle. And he has like this major crush on her. And she just kind of like blows him off every time he talks to her. Where my favorite character in the movie is in love with Sandy Frank, who is fucking Heather Mooney, played by Janine Garofalo. Ah, oh, she like is a, so good in here. Like a chain smoking goth girl. She's um. Oh God, let me let me just like repeat this scene because it's my favorite. <laughs> Have you ever heard of Lady Fair cigarettes? The ones that burn down real fast. Twice the taste and half the time for the gal on the go. I invented the quick burning paper. <laughs> and then the cigarette just like burns super fast. <laughs> She's just like all her lines are so like on point. I, my favorite thing that she does isn't even a line of dialogue. It's just when they're making announcements on the stage. Instead of rolling her eyes, she rolls her <laughs> eyes while dribbling water all down her body. <laughs> Is it beer? It's beer. It's yeah. Beer, yeah. It looks very ridiculous. It just like <laughs> almost like a like a trained seal or something. She's just like <laughs> making fun of them so hard. It's so funny. And I think. That character sort of points to what the movie is about a little bit and that all these girls are insular and not realizing how off-putting they are to other people. Janine Garofalo has a crush on Alan Cumming. Alan Cumming has a crush on Romy Michelle. Romy and Michelle are so oblivious they have no idea what's going on. Right. Uh, and it's almost like even the nerds who shouldn't have any power and they're like outcasts in high school... Because, you know, one has a back brace and the other's a little overweight, supposedly, right. but not very. She loves Hamburger Day. <laughs> but even though they're they're not, like, the cool kids, they're still making other people further down the social ladder yeah. miserable without even thinking about it. Where, yeah, I, I do like that a lot. Because, like, you don't, you always think there's just, like, popular kids and then there's, like, not popular kids. And those are only two groups. But it's just kind of interesting how they kind of make a point where everyone has made someone's life horrible in high school, whether you wanted to or not. Yeah. And I feel I feel like guilt sometimes. I'm like, man, I was a huge asshole as a kid. I know. I did a lot of deflecting. And, like, sometimes I'll just sit down. And I'm like, should I, like, contact all these people and apologize? And I'm like, fuck. 
No. No, like, definitely not. I'm not gonna open any wounds. Learn from your mistakes, but definitely right. don't I'm go back. I'm just gonna like put it out there. Um, but I love the part where Toby Walters back again. She goes up to Heather at the reunion and she's like, Heather, would you sign my yearbook? And please don't tell me to fuck off because it really hurts my feelings. Yeah. And Heather's like, I hurt your feelings? <laughs> Get your fucking yearbook. I'll sign it. Like, she's so excited <laughs> that she, like, made someone's life hell in high school. Yeah. Because <laughs> the whole time she, like, Michelle was like, she looked at Michelle as being, like, long legs, blonde hair, beautiful. The guy that I like likes her. And... Yeah, that whole, like, realization is really, yeah. really fun. Actually, it, this year is my 10-year high school reunion. Are you going to yeah. go? No. Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> Not at all. I didn't go to mine either. I'm like, I talked to, like, the three people I liked in yeah. high school, and I don't really care what's going on with anyone else. <laughs> uh, and the lady who plays Tony, Toby Walters, too, I recognize... Like Cameron... Cameron Mannheim? Yeah. Uh, I only recognize her from, like, a couple TV shows. Like, I think she was in The Practice. Mm-hmm. But uh, more so uh, from Happiness... Uh, oh yeah, where she has a very similar storyline with with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who is oblivious to the fact that she has a crush on him, and then things get really dark from there because it's a fucking Todd Solondz it's a movie. Weird movie. But yeah, I like that the movie. This movie kind of has a point on top of just being like absurdly cartoonish, mm-hmm. like just the fact that you should be aware of how your social obliviousness and like your insular communities are you know, affecting other people because your existence in the world does have an effect on other people. Right. And we should be aware of that. Right. (laughs) Like the two of them think that they're so far down the ladder that they can't possibly hurt anybody else. And it's just not true. But even like there's a scene where Michelle kind of does that, where she's trying to work at like an upscale boutique. It might be Versace. And she's like trying to sell herself to the guy. She's like, I'm familiar with the entire Versace line. And there's like a lady who's trying on a shirt and she's like, ma'am, hi, that blouse looks great on you. And then she turns around. She's like, see, I have this like really believable way of telling people they look good. But when I'm really like, and then the lady hears her. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, it was kind of like reflective. Yeah, she's totally like hurting that that lady's feelings. Uh, (laughs) Even though she's buying like a $2,000 shirt. So who cares about her? (laughs) And besides having, like, having a point, I think it does a good job of making this, like, small event, like, a high school reunion, which, you know, just a second ago, we were saying, like, who gives a shit? They're not important. They drove, like, all the... They got, like, a car. They, like, made outfits, lost weight, like, did all this... It was, like, a like preparing for a marathon to right. go to, like, a, something that's going to last a few hours. In Tucson, Arizona. In Tucson, Coming yeah. from Los Angeles. It's weird that they already have the Valley Girl accents before they leave Tucson. It's kind of funny. <laughs> Uh, oh, I knew. <laughs> yeah. But it does a good job of making that event, which is kind of like a nothing of an event, into something sort of like big because it has that giant dream sequence. <laughs> Where it's like the A crew, like Christy Masters, like during that dream sequence, there's like these like 20 foot tall paintings of their high school portrait, like hanging in like, like this ballroom where they're having their reunion. So funny. <laughs> And then once the dream sequence resets, it's just as ridiculous, like, yeah. in the real version. Because they do this, like, sort of three-way dance routine with Alan Cumming. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, to Time oh, After time. time. And it's just as absurd as the dream sequence. <laughs> so, like, everything from the reunion to the end is so surreal and so, like, cartoonish. And it just, it makes the effort worthwhile, even though it's such a non-event. It, it's so, like, real, though. Like, if I would go to mine, it would be just like that, where everyone's fucking pregnant. Like, every time I go home to, like, visit, 
and I run into somebody I went to high school with, like at Walmart, if I go to like an event or something, it's like, oh, how many do you have? And I'm just like, fuck, I'm like 27. Like, <laughs> I shouldn't have any. Yeah. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> it made me laugh so much because like watching it when I was 10 years old, I thought it was funny. And now that I'm the age that they are in the movie, it's like, oh my God, this is real. And yeah. it's still funny and crazy. It's probably easier to relate to like making up a fake accomplishment to impress other people. Yeah, I when, like, do that. There's really no point. <laughs> I guess the movie kind of ends on that. Like, there's no point in like pretending to be. Maybe I should go and say I invented post it <laughs> and see who gets it. Yeah, just memorize her uh, formula for glue in the. Uh... Oh, you have it. Should I say it? Yeah. Ordinarily, when you make glue, first you need to thermoset your resin, and then after it cools, you have to mix in a poxide, which is just a fancy schmancy name for any simple oxygenated adhesive, right? And then I thought maybe, just maybe, you could raise the viscosity during <laughs> by adding a complex glucose derivative during the emulsification process, and it turns out I was right. <laughs> so yeah, you have it down. <laughs> You're prepared yeah, for your reunion. Yeah, I'm ready. So this first... <laughs> but now we have LinkedIn. Oh, no. <laughs> we have all this social media that, like, let's... I don't know. Yeah. That's true. Like, if, it, if this was, like, a modern day... Like, if Romeo and Michelle was made, like, now, they would have had to have done some, like, very intense lying. Yeah, they would have had to, like, fake their social media profiles. Oh, totally. Instead of just buying yeah. a business suit to wear. Because they're important <laughs> business women. When they go to, um... They go to get food at this gas station, and they're like, oh, we'll have the businesswoman's lunch special. Doesn't make any sense. (laughs) (laughs) You know, for businesswomen. (laughs) Oh, this is a good movie. So, that movie is directed by this guy, David Merkin, who, from what I can tell, has only directed, like, Simpsons episodes. Like, that's his, like, most substantial career has been producing The Simpsons. Hmm. The other movie we watched today was directed by Robin Schiff, who is the playwright who created the characters. So this is Robin Schiff's second attempt to sell a sitcom version of Romeo and Michelle. So you have Just Temporary was the earlier one that had the pilot on NBC. Uh, This movie, it's called Romeo and Michelle in the Beginning. Why does she suck so bad? It's from 2005. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we said earlier she didn't understand why the characters were so popular. And I think that shows here super hard. Obviously, since it's a prequel Mm -hmm. to Romeo and Michelle that was filmed a decade after the original. As a made-for-TV. As a made-for-TV movie. ABC Family movie. It was uh, what they call a backdoor plot. So, like, the movie was supposed to be kind of the first episode for a series that never got picked up because everybody hated it. Oh, my God. Um, So, yeah, they recast... Romeo and Michelle, uh, Catherine Heigl plays Lisa Kudrow's character, I believe. Or she plays... No, she's she plays Romy. Mira, Mira Yeah, Mira character. Sabrina. Which, actually, that probably should have been flipped. It I think she would have been, been funnier flipped. in the uh, Lisa Kudrow they got, position. You know, and I'm, like, a big Catherine Heigl fan. Like, I love her. And it's sad to, like, watch her do something shitty. She's kind of been, like, on the down low, like, lately. Like, she hasn't done much, but she did, like, maybe, like, a year or so ago, she did some cat litter commercials, <laughs> which I, like, thoroughly enjoy. <laughs> but, yeah, like, she's she's a very talented actress. She's done some really cool shit. And I'm like, you know what? I love stupid movies. I love Katherine Heigl. I love made-for-TV movies. I love Romy and Michelle. This is gonna be awesome. And then it's just, like, a really bad parody of Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. 
and it's, it's not even like watchable. It's I think so it's bad. the worst movie we've ever covered on this podcast. Yes, by I, far. I agree. <laughs> it's really like n- there's no redeeming qualities. Like even the Paula Abdul cameo in the end doesn't save it. Mm-mm. Anything it makes it worse. I think. Like you said, it's kind of like a parody of the original, but I think it's like such a fundamental misunderstanding of like what makes the original popular. For instance, we were talking about earlier how they're watching and making fun of Pretty Woman and like how relatable that is. Yeah. In this movie, they go see Pretty Woman opening night. It's instantly their favorite movie of all time, and they decide to become sex workers in L.A. and move from Tucson to L.A. immediately. It's like it takes the joke too far. It's a different joke, though, because they're not making fun of Pretty Woman. They're like not like, oh, we watched this dumb movie to make fun of it. Right. They're like, oh, this is my new Bible. I want to be her. Right. It just completely misunderstands the dynamic of the first movie. Right, right. Like, it, it takes it and it runs with it in the wrong way. And the same thing with, like, there's, like, all these little things that are said in the movie that pull from Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion. Like, I can't think of exactly what it is, but Katherine Heigl's character says something along the lines of when, back to the good one, Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion, Romy's in a club and she's talking to this guy because she's trying to get, like, a cool boyfriend to bring to the reunion and he ends up being a suit salesman. And she's like, can you excuse me? I cut my foot earlier and my shoe was filling up with blood. <laughs> That's she actually the away. clip I used uh, to intro this, too. Oh, I God. love that joke so much. <laughs> I want to be in a scenario where I can use that, you know, <laughs> but I'll probably never will. But yeah, well, Katherine Heigl's character says something like similar to it mm-hmm. in the movie. And I'm just like, uh, like, it just kind of feels like over you. Like, it's it's like it didn't understand the humor. Like you were saying, like, it doesn't understand what made Romy and Michelle's high school reunion funny. It just like it's par <sighs> it's like, not parody parroting right like pe- like a parrot like it's like echoing oh, it's just, like copying it feels like you went to like, like it was like a high school play mm-hmm. of kids that were like what if we do like a play about Romeo and Michelle when before like they um go back to Tucson for the reunion and what it was like when they moved to L A for the first time oh cool like it was just really like shitty the fact that this had to go through multiple people to get to the point where it was and that everyone like checked off all the boxes they needed to check off. It's real shit. And the things they decide to recreate are like really weird. Like not just the blood shoe <laughs> joke, but also they go out of their way to set up the scene where they're posing in front of a landmark in LA and they recreate the pose from the poster. Uh, you know, like in a romantic movie pose when someone kisses, the woman lifts her like left leg. Right. Uh, for the movie poster, Romeo and Michelle, because they're so in love with each other, they both lift their leg. Yeah. And it's a fucking advertisement for a movie. Like, that's not what people care about. But this movie goes out of its way to recreate that exact pose. It, see, it feels lazy. It's so lazy and it's obnoxious. And I hate that I hate it. I want to like it so much. Right. I want to like everything Romeo and Michelle. But I can't. <laughs> I think part of it is what we were talking about earlier about uh, how they're not dumb blonde characters in the original. I think they're definitely right. dumb blondes in this. Yeah. Like, oh, 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 oh yeah, oh. And they're, like, super happy all the time. Right. Like, they're chipper, dumb blondes. Like, so dumb. Like, we found magic shoes in the trash. Let's put on our magic shoes and yeah. it'll give us luck. Ooh, ooh. It's so, uh. But it is fun how the, um, the roommate is transitioning. Yeah. And... 
that character played for like I can't think of her like her name, but she plays in Transparent. Transparent. She's got a big role where she's um like in the motel or yeah, that she's like a complex. roommate in that movie as in that show yeah, as well. Just always a trans roommate. And then she, what's that movie with Felicity Huffman, where she's trans America. Trans America. She's in there for a hot second yeah. too. I like that they employed a trans actress. I think that's cool. This movie's problematic as fuck but as far then, as like trans issues right, go. Right, <laughs> where it was like, oh, like at first, like when I, I recognized that character, I was like, oh, this is cool. Maybe this will be a redeeming quality. And then there's like two na- two guy neighbors who are like Bill and Ted stupid. Yeah, they're like idiots. And it's kind of like two guy idiots and two girl idiots become idiots together. How cute. No, it's weird and nobody likes it. But anyways, they're like, oh, like, you know, they're men. Because she's a man and they're all living together and they all have wigs. So you're like a dude. And then they're like, oh, those guys are gay because they have pink shirts and they live together. It's just really like uncomfortable. You would think that would only last a minute. That's like no, most of the, the plot. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. Until like she's like, oh, can I use your shower to wash my hair? And then there's a snake on the floor. And then she like throws her towel up and he's like, oh my God, you're really a woman. Ugh. Oh, you're not gay. Oh, no. They really leaned into it. So bad. Yeah. (laughs) It's painful. And this is not that long ago. Like, (laughs) 2005 is is not that long ago. Yeah, they knew. I mean, we've always known better, but they for real knew better. Right. And there's other extraneous plots. There's, like, a neighbor who's, like, super mean to them. There's a supermodel they sort of, like, fall into. (laughs) And you can just feel the movie building this cast of characters for the sitcom that nobody wanted. Yeah. this is the second time we've covered movies like this on the show. Uh, me and Cece did this episode on Archie Comics in the movies mm-hmm. uh, back when Riverdale first premiered. And there were two ABC pilots. One was this movie, Archie Back to Riverdale or something like that. <laughs> and it was a lot like this. It was oh, like God. Archie, Veronica, Jughead, Betty, they're all older and like go back to Riverdale and like reunite after oh, being away for a long time. Weird. But weird, weird, weird. Even that was more fun than this. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, they also had uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which actually did get picked up for that TGIF show. Yeah, which was good. Yeah, which was good. Well, all those... So Riverdale's fantastic. Um, Sabrina's great. So maybe if they make this, it'll be good? I don't know. I think they should leave it alone. Obviously... Just leave it be. Let the, the amazing film just be its own thing. Obviously, if the creator of the characters fundamentally doesn't understand what made them so popular something's fucking wrong that means that they don't get it she should leave it be i think and there's even that um that other character who's like the the maid that sings really well and then at the end everything comes together and they're at like a coming out party for their roommate and she starts singing like Paula Abdul songs and then Paula Abdul's there and she like, and then it ends that way. It's so weird. And they like, pull out their, uh, their pl- choreographed dance moves that are like not funny. They yeah. Like trying to mimic whenever they were at the club. So in Romy Michelle's high school reunion, there's this cool, like hip hop remix version of staying alive and they have their own like cool dance to it. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. And then this fucking movie took that and then made it not funny. Right. <laughs> uh, I would say the first one is already like a cult classic. Oh, like, totally. Uh, I think people who know what it is are already like excited about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think it needs us to promote it. I have no problem calling it like one of the better comedy gems of the 90s. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it does a lot of similar things that the to-do list does, where it's just like a, a femme version of a kind of comedy you don't see very often. Right. Uh, and especially those like surreal touches of the uh, dream sequence and like <laughs> the weird dance routine they do with Alan Cumming. Uh, and just like how weirdly out of place Heather Mooney is in the film. That's all great stuff. Right. I think the service we can provide here is just saying, stay the fuck away from Romeo and Michelle yeah. in the beginning. Like It's really hard to find for good reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some things belong buried. <laughs> Maybe my curiosity about that just temporary pilot, I should probably let that go as well. Yep. D- did you even know this existed? Nope, I didn't. And I was kind of like, oh, is, is this a new thing? And this was around the time that I was watching ABC Family. I was watching so much television when this came out. How did this... And I was obs- and I was obsessed with Romeo and Michelle at this point. I was like 15 when this came out. So this movie was like my favorite movie of all time. Love it. And then I'm watching TV all the time and I just missed it. I only heard about it because I was listening to Lisa Kudrow interviewed on RuPaul's podcast. And she just kind of mentioned in general... Something about Romy and Michelle. And I think someone... Maybe I just Googled it. Because like, oh, what's going on with Romy and Michelle? And I saw this is like a footnote. Which, Whoa. this feels like one of those like weird, you know, a break in the simulation <laughs> moments. Like, maybe this didn't exist in 2005. And it's just been sort of like willed into existence since. But <laughs> it's it's an evil thing that deserves to be forgotten. Maybe it was like on TV for like one night. And they were like, oh, let's not put it back. Because nobody liked it. It got terrible reviews and nobody watched it. So. Yeah. Like there was... I was looking at the IMDb reviews and there's like a couple of like weirdos out there that are like, what a cute movie. <laughs> like, okay. Ugh. Ugh. Like, don't give it life. Like, let it just die. It's transphobic, unfunny trash. Mm-hmm. And I regret bringing yeah. it back up and <laughs> burying it. <laughs> like, I feel bad because this is like one of your favorite movies. And I'm like, here's a shitty version of it <laughs> that no one should see. Well, I think because it was, it made me more passionate towards like hating this. And I'm not one of those people who are like, nothing's better than the original. Like, I like to give shit a chance. Yeah. And I think sometimes, like, weird, like, remakes or, like, prequels are really fun. But, oh, God. Yeah. Like, there's nothing cool. Like, nothing. There's not one part that was funny for me at all. Totally agree. I really do think this is the so worst movie we've done it, on the podcast. I think this might be the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> it's pretty like, low. 500 Days of Summer is, like my most hated movie and i think this is like this is kind of you served it. it yeah 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 it's horrible well if you want to check out anything new we have going on the website i added a tab for crew divine on there Ooh, so you can that. see all our pictures from the last couple years we were on point i think we got much better like yeah. i if you go look on there the pictures from the first year and the pictures from the second year there's a big jump in in quality right i'm investing a lot more of my time and money in crew divine and mm-hmm. yeah i got a wig instead of using <laughs> my like last year not last year but the year before i was like i'm just gonna use my real hair and tease it and i just look like a clown that fell in a pool <laughs> which is kind of fun yeah but yeah crew divine is just Getting stronger. That's our Divine-themed uh, Mardi Gras crew. Oh my god. So funny that you bring up Divine. I didn't mention this when we were talking about the to-do list, mm-hmm. but she eats a piece of shit. She does eat shit in the like movie. Like pink, pink Flamingo's moment. Yeah, I think the movie's trying to gross <laughs> you out, especially like with the scenes where, like uh, the parents um, interacting with the kids while they're right. fucking, right. Uh, which is really like viscerally upsetting. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, she does eat a turd very it's much fun. like Divine. Yeah, and I'm like, what other movies do people eat shit? Like, <laughs> so there's your, your um, you know, Divine 
She's she's always with us, <laughs> no matter what we're watching, <laughs> even on the to-do list. And I did try to link um, CCB Dement's uh, Facebook page on there, too. Because it was really cool to have, like, a real Ugh. drag queen yeah. join us for... She's uh, amazing. Marta. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. Well, we'll see y'all in a couple weeks with more good stuff like this. Yes. And less terrible stuff like uh, Romy Michelle in the beginning. But, like, not a promise. I don't promise. want to watch anything this terrible for a while. I need to watch okay. the taste of this shit out of my mouth. <laughs> 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 How perfect. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what it feels and tastes like. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye.